All right. So you guys ready to hear God's word? Amen. Amen. That's why you're here, to hear from God, not from Ben Bufkin, but from the Lord. So have you ever left the house to go somewhere? You got an invitation in the mail to go to an event. And you leave the house. Well, first of all, you get dressed before you leave the house, right? That's important to get dressed before you leave the house. You get dressed and you show up to the event and you realize soon as you walk in the door, maybe even before you walk in the door, you're watching people walk from the parking lot into the building and you're like, honey, I don't think we got the memo that this is formal, right? And what happens? You're underdressed. And so you go to walk in and, and sure enough, everyone in there is in tuxedos and ties and and formal gowns, right? Have, have you experienced that? Maybe something similar like that? Or maybe, maybe you're getting ready for the day to go out into the day to spend time with your family outside and you forgot to check the weather. So you get up in the morning, get dressed like it's going to be a warm day. You open the door and unbeknownst to you, there was a cold front that came through. And you're like, wait a minute, I am underdressed. So the title of our message this morning is, it's time to get dressed. It's time to get dressed properly because a lot of us are underdressed we're underdressed i'm gonna explain to you what that means but apostle paul in this section of scripture that we're in as in our journey through colossians we're talking about the new creation life we're talking about what it looks like to be a christian in the beginning of colossians he talked about the doctrine and the theology of the faith that we have been crucified with christ we are dead to our old man but we are alive in christ and so last week We talked about how because of that reality, we are called to put to death the deeds of our flesh. We are called to put to death the sins that so easily beset us. We're called to walk in sanctification, to become mature in the faith. And that that is a part of the Christian life. And Paul continues using some other type of language. He begins to talk about putting on and putting off. And it's the picture of clothing ourselves. In this context that we're going to talk about, about getting dressed, being dressed properly, is centered around our relationships. If you look around today, relationships are strained today. They've been strained forever since the fall, right? But if you look around today in our world, there's a lot of strain in relationships today. Our world is strained. Our world is at war with each other. It depends on what side you want to be on. If you're on this side or the other side, there, there's animosity with each other in our world. And it's hard to get along with people. Are there people in your life, whether you live with them or you go to work or, 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 or you're around town, are there people you come across that you're like, I just am having a hard time with that person? Maybe it's on Facebook. You're scrolling through Facebook and and, and you're you're seeing things that people post. Are you having a hard time with seeing things that you disagree with? That's our world today. We are so divided right now. And it's so heightened because we're in an an election season. And so we see all of this going on all around us. And I, I just think this is a timely word for right now for us as Christians. We are called to be different. We're called to not dress like the world. And I'm not talking about Levi's and a and a t shirt. Right? I'm not talking about physical clothes. We're called to be clothed different than the world is clothed. And the Apostle Paul talks about the qualities that we're supposed to be clothed with as Christians. We're supposed to dress differently than the world. You know, growing up, growing up, you know, uh, in, in some fundamental type circles, you know, uh, the idea was uh, for women that, you know, you, you couldn't wear pants and you, you couldn't wear makeup. And, and if you grew up in that type of circle, then the, it, everything was focused on the outside, right? And you had to appear a certain way. But Christ is more 
uh, uh, worried about what's on the inside. That we're supposed to be clothed properly on the inside. This is what Paul is telling us. It's time to get dressed. And if we're not dressed properly before we leave the house, the interactions we have with people are going to be difficult. If we're not dressed properly before we come home and cross the threshold of the door of our home and interact with our wife or our husband or our kids, we are going to have difficulty in our relationships. And Paul helps us with that for us to get dressed properly. So let's stand for the reading of God's word in honor of God's word in Colossians 3. And let's look at the text that we're going to unpack here this morning. This is God speaking to us. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. So Lord, we come before you this morning, and as we read your word, we ask that you would help us to receive it, to apply it to our life. Pray that we would not just be hearers only, but we would be doers of your word. And Lord, I pray that you would help me to open my mouth to preach your word and to exalt Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. It is so important that we are prepared to navigate the relationships that we're called to. We're all called to relationships. You know that? That's why we're not meant to be alone. That's why we need to gather. But you know what happens when we get around people? Sometimes they rub us the wrong way. Sometimes they say things we we don't like. Sometimes they hurt us. They wound us. And we are called to be prepared to navigate those relationships in a way that brings peace and in a way that pleases the Lord and in a way that reflects the inward work of salvation in our life. The way we interact with one another should reflect what Christ has done in our heart. Do you believe that here today? We believe that here today. So in this section that we just read in Colossians 3, the Apostle Paul really, there's three sections we're going to look at, and he really talks about what we're called to. So we have two things that that we're called to that we're going to see very clearly here, and then secondly, we're going to look at the glue that binds it all together. So the first thing that we're called to is that we're called to clothe ourselves in Christ-like attributes. We're called to clothe ourselves in Christ-like attributes. Did you hear that list when we read through that in Colossians 3? That, that, that long list there? Uh, have compassion in hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. That's a daunting list when you read through it. And you're like, how can I do that? He's saying to put these on. Paul lists these attributes as essential for our lives. These are essential for our lives. This is essential because it reflects what Christ has done in us. And so before we leave the house, before you leave here today, before you go home, before you start your day on Monday and you go to work, before you get on the road and you're traveling and you get around people that don't drive right, you ever been around somebody that doesn't drive right? You need to be clothed, you need to be clothed properly before you, before you get out there. This text says to put on, like a change of clothes, putting off and putting on. So let's look at the wardrobe. That's what I wanted to describe it at. This, this list is a wardrobe that we are called to put on as believers in Jesus Christ. The first one he says here is a, is, a, is a compassionate heart. We're called to put on, to clothe ourselves with compassion. Now, this, the word heart, when it says compassionate heart, the word heart, it, when it's 
described in the original language is it's a picture of internal organs, the, etern- the internal organs of our physical body. So really, with that word picture, what is, what's the Apostle Paul saying here that we need to put on? That we have to have a deep, gut-level feeling of compassion. That should mark us as a Christian, that we have a deep, gut-level feeling of compassion. Is that true of us? Is that true of me? Am I compassionate for the ones that, that I don't agree with? Am I compassionate for the ones who make mistakes and, 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 they get what, and they're getting what they got coming to them? Right? Is that the mindset that I have? Or do I have compassion on those who have blown it and are experiencing difficulties? We must have a compassionate heart, a deep gut level feeling of compassion, compassion and empathy. As believers, we should not be indifferent to the suffering we see in our world. When we look around at the suffering, we shouldn't just put our nose up at people and just say, well, they've, they've made their bed, now they've got to lay in it. No, that should not be our heart. We need to put on compassion before we leave the door. And I'm telling you, this is hard. This is not easy. Let's think about real life. This is real life. When you see people on TV, you watch the news and you see stuff going on and you think, well, they got arrested or they got caught or they got, and you think, well, they just got it, you know, sowing and reaping. They got what's coming to them. No, we must have compassionate hearts and say, Lord, have mercy on them. Lord, have mercy on them. Help me to have your heart. This was the heart of Christ. This example of compassion is exemplified in the life of Christ. You remember when you read through the Gospels, Jesus would go around and he'd travel around. And anytime he traveled around, people would follow him because he was, he was compelling. Not only was he compelling, it, Scripture says he spoke in a way that no one ever spoke. And people were, were compelled to follow him. But not only that, he did miracles upon miracles. And so tens of thousands of people would gather wherever he went. And how many times do you read in the Gospels where it says that Jesus, when he would see the crowds, he would lift his eyes up, he'd see the crowds. And what does it say? It says he would be filled with compassion. And he would look out at the people and he would say, they're like sheep without a shepherd. They're harassed and they're helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That's what we're called to as Christians. We're called to have that same type of compassionate heart. The next thing that flows out of compassion, he says there is kindness. There's kindness. And so kindness is similar to compassion. And here's how I want to describe kindness. A compassionate person is a kind person. To say that you're compassionate but you're not kind really demonstrates that you're not compassionate. If you have a hard time being kind to people, kind with your words, kind with the way you treat them, if you have a hard time being kind, then you're probably not compassionate. And if you're not kind to people, then it's a reflection of the fact that you're not compassionate. A compassionate person is a kind person, and a kind person is a compassionate person. And here's the picture that Scripture gives us of this word kindness. It says kindness gives a picture of a grace that pervades all of us, the whole person, a grace that pervades the whole person, mellowing all that might be harsh. Are we harsh? I've been harsh before. I I know you've been harsh before. You've been harsh and you thought, oh, Lord, I don't want to be that way. But we must be kind. A kindness is a grace that pervades the whole person, that mellows the harshness that we can so easily walk in compassionate hearts, kind hearts. You remember the Good Samaritan? The story of the good, the good Samaritan? What happened there? There was a Levite and there was a, a priest that walked by, a guy that had been beaten up. 
It was a parable that Jesus told to express what it means to really, to really understand the kingdom of God. And so this man was beaten, robbed, left for dead, bloodied on the side of the road. And two men walked by and don't do anything. But then the Samaritan walked by and he did something. Listen to the text in Luke 10. But the Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had what? What does compassion lead you to do? To be kind. He had compassion, and when he went to him, he went to him because he was filled with compassion. Maybe the priest and maybe the Levite, when they walked by the man, maybe somewhere in there, in their heart, there was something that triggered in their heart, and they thought, maybe I should do something. But they had no compassion. And so it didn't motivate them to action. Compassion motivates you to action. If you say you're compassionate and you have empathy towards people, but it doesn't motivate you to action, then you really don't have compassion. Compassion will motivate you to action if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. So he went to him. He bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The answer is clear. It was the Samaritan, the good Samaritan. You know, kindness is also reflected in the phrase that Jesus said. You remember Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That phrase, my yoke is easy, is the same comes from the same root word of the word kindness here in Colossians 3. Isn't that a beautiful picture? When Jesus says, my yoke is easy, it means he's kind. He's compassionate and he's kind. The next attribute that we see, it's really, I'm going to combine two of them in the list. It's humility and meekness. Some translations in your Bible, you may have a translation that says gentleness. And I I like the word gentleness here to describe meekness. It's humility and gentleness. This is what we're called to. you got to put on humility and gentleness. Humility is the antidote to self-love. Humility is the antidote to self-love. We live in a world that is full of self-love. Look around today. It is not hard to find self-love. That is what makes the world go round. Do you not see that? I see it every day. It's what makes the world go around. That my life is about me, my needs, and I want what I want, and I want to get it when I want it, and I want it as fast as I can get it. It is self-love. We are consumed with ourselves and our society today. It's all about my needs, my desires, my feelings. We are filled with self-love. But humility is the antidote to self-love. Self-love poisons every relationship. If you try to have a meaningful relationship with anybody and you are only about yourself, it will poison that relationship and that relationship will end. Relationships can only be healthy to the level that you are willing to be humble. Did you hear that? Write that down. Put it on your fridge. I didn't say that in the first service. Relationships will only be healthy to the degree that you are willing to be humble. You have to be humble in the relationships that God's called you to because humility pushes away self-love. Humility is the opposite of self-love, and self-love has as its, as its foundation pride. And pride insists on its own way. Pride is not flexible. Pride cares only for its own feelings. But humility is the polar opposite. Humility says, I care about your needs above my own. I want to please you above pleasing myself. And that humble heart is demonstrated in gentleness. Gentleness is the reflection of a humble heart. 
And sometimes people say, well, gentleness is just weakness. If somebody who's gentle and meek and calm, they're just weak. But, you know, that's really not the case. Gentleness really, when it's described, it's, it's a, a gentle person. The spirit of gentleness is power that is under control. Gentleness is power that is under the control of the Holy Spirit. So somebody who's gentle, really, they're a powerful person. But they're walking in self-control, and that's motivated by the power of the Holy Spirit. So that humility is reflected in a gentle heart that has power un- under control. So to, to, to illustrate what, what, that, what that gentleness really looks like, have you ever, have you ever been outside kind of like the week or so that we have of spring weather? Week and a half spring, maybe about a week of fall, and you're outside in your back patio and you have a soothing wind that blows through. Do you enjoy that? Isn't that beautiful? I love that. I, I helped my father-in-law out last weekend or a week or so ago, and I put this huge fan up in his back patio. It had eight blades on it, and the blades are like this long, and so and that thing whooshes around and gets this, this wind. Right now, it's just pushing hot air. It's not very soothing, but it's going to be nice one day when we're out there in the spring and the fall, and it's pushing around that soothing wind, that gentle wind. Have you ever been sick? And what, what does the doctor prescribe you? He prescribes you medicine. What does medicine do? It heals you, right? You get that headache, you take the Advil, you take the aspirin, right? You take the medicine, the Tylenol, and medicine can heal you. What about if you've ever ridden, ridden a horse or a colt that's been broken? Ridden a colt that's, that's been broken? If you've ridden the opposite, you know that that's not gentle. But a colt that's been broken is a gentle ride, and it responds to your interaction because it's been broken, This is power under control. This is gentleness. So what's the opposite of that? Warren Rearsby, commentator on this section, says this. A wind can become a storm. That gentle wind can become a storm. That gentle soothing wind can become a storm. Too much medicine can kill. A horse that's been broken can break loose. But this this power is under control. The gentle person does not have to fly off the handle because he has everything under control. And I would add everything under the control of the Spirit of God. That's gentleness, humility and gentleness. And then the last one here, a part of the wardrobe. Go in your closet. Go in your Holy Spirit closet. What's the last piece of clothing you need to put on? Not really the last one, but the last one in in this section. Here it is. Patiently making allowance for the faults of others. Your translation may say patience and bearing with one another. That's what we read in the ESV. But I love the translation that says making allowance for the faults of others. And so I combine that. I believe that they go hand in hand, just like humility and gentleness, that we are called to patiently make allowance for the faults of others. I, I hate to spoil it for you. I hate to burst your bubble and make it difficult for you when you leave today. But when you leave today, and you leave this sanctuary of peace and calm. There's a lot of bad people out there. There's people that make mistakes out there. There's, there's, there's people that are going to fail. There, there's a lot of people that are going to make mistakes. There's flawed people out there. Did you know that? And you're one of them. Welcome to society. People need to watch out for you tomorrow morning. Watch out for me, right? But no, no, I'm, but not, not, not if I clothe myself properly. We are called to put on patience, and we are called to patiently make allowance for the faults of others. Jesus does this with us, Second Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Lord, thank you for your patience, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. This is so important for us as we prepare for each day. People will make mistakes. 
people will disappoint you. People will say things that hurt. People will act like the flawed sinners that they are. That's the world we live in. And given enough time, we would say this statement to everyone in our life. Given enough time, I will disappoint you. Given enough time, I will fail you. Given enough time, I will wrong you. Not only, will that, not only is that true of the people outside of this building, but it's true of you and me. We will say that. We, we will say that to somebody. That, that will be something that is true of us, that we will fail, we will make mistakes. And so because of that, we must clothe ourselves with patience that is ready to make allowances for someone else's fault. As soon as you leave that door tomorrow morning to head to work and you are running late, you overslept your alarm clock. I did that this morning. I overslept my alarm clock because my two-year-old at three in the morning was crying for his bottle. Now, this is just, I mean, the perfect example of two-year-oldness. He has a, his baba, is what he calls it. He has a baba. And it's got a soft cap, right? I couldn't find it at three in the morning. It's dark. I'm looking with my phone light. I can't find it. So I go get a backup bottle. And then I bring it in. And there's no humility, meekness, or gentleness in that two-year-old. I promise you right now, he's off the bed. He's on the ground. And, he, and, and, and in his own little language, Lincoln's saying, not that one, not that one, not that one. It's three in the morning. And I'm trying to walk in patience with his faults. And you're going to leave the door, and you're going to be late. And you're going to get behind somebody that is driving slower than a Sunday afternoon. We need to be prepared. We need to be clothed with a patience that will make allowance for the faults of others. Have you experienced that before? I know you have. Don't leave the house unprepared to interact with flawed people. Don't be unprepared to interact with flawed people. So this is the first thing that we're called to do. We are called to clothe ourselves with Christ-like attributes. These are all Christ-like attributes in Christ walked perfectly in these attributes, and that's the standard with which we are called to measure our life. We're called to see that standard and know we're not going to be perfect in any of these areas. We're going to be impatient. I'm going to not be gentle from time to time. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm, 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 I'm going to not be humble, and I'm going to be prideful. I'm going to, but this is the journey that I'm on. This is the Christian life that, that I grow progressively, and I want to be more gentle now. I want to be more gentle later than I am now. I want to be more patient later than I am now. I don't want to keep going around the same mountain. Do you agree? Is that your heart's desire and prayer? And that's what we're called to. The next thing we're called to, let's go back to the text. The next thing we're called to is that we're called to forgive as Christ has forgiven. This is so clear in the text. He gives this list of what our wardrobe should look like every day before we leave the house and before we come home. And he adds to what we're called to there. In Colossians 3.13, he says, If anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So what's the basis of the forgiveness that we're called to walk in? It's so clear. Anytime you see this in Scripture, we forgive others not because they deserve it. And that's often what we say, right? We say, well, when somebody hurts me, when somebody wounds me, when somebody says something that just cuts like a knife, when they say they're sorry, when they make restitution, when they own up, then I'm going to forgive them. What does the text say here? The text doesn't say that. It does not say that we're called to forgive when they make it right. It doesn't say that we're called to forgive whenever they become perfect. It says that we are called to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. Have you ever had a hard time with that? 
Absolutely, you've had a hard time with that. I, I've had a hard time with that. That type of forgiveness is foreign to us. It's not, that's not natural for us. It's natural for us to dig our heels in and to say, I will not forgive until they make it right. I will not forgive until they pay. I mean, that, that, that's, that's the foundation of our justice system, right? Laws are broken and there's penalties that are paid. But as Christians, we're called to live differently. Yes, there is sowing and reaping, and that is God's law. And God will judge them. But as far as we are concerned with them, as the text says here, we're called to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. How did Christ forgive us? It's clear in Romans 5. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. Wow. But God shows his love. Isn't this so good? I love this. Some translations say that God demonstrates his love. God says, I want to demonstrate my love. I want to show you what my love looks like. I want to make a perfect example of what my love looks like. He demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, he died for us. Some of you may be asking, say, say, Pastor Ben, there's got to be a limit to that though, right? There must be a limit. I, I can't just do that all the time. People are going to walk all over me. They're going to take advantage of me. There's got to be a limit. Well, if you ever ask that question, you're not alone. Apostle Peter asked that in a conversation with Jesus in Matthew 18. He really wanted to know how many times do we need to forgive? Look at Matthew 18. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? He says, God, Lord, I need a number. A new number because this is getting old. (laughs) You ever felt that way? Lord, I, I, clearly, I can't keep doing this. They're not changing, God. Certainly, I don't have to keep forgiving them. And Peter, Peter gives an option. He says, Lord, as many as seven times? Seven sounds good. Many as seven times? Is that how many times I need to, to forgive them? And, and really, really need a little context here to understand why Peter gave the number seven. It wasn't just a random number he pulled out of the air. He thought he was being gracious by saying seven because... The rabbis during that time, the Jewish rabbis, they taught that according to the Old Testament, if you went through, according to their study of it, it it, it appeared that God had mercy and forgave his enemies only three times when you go through the Old Testament. So they taught, their their tradition was, well, hey, if that was good enough for God, that's good enough for us. So when somebody sins against me a fourth time, all bets are off, I'm done. It's hate for them, not forgiveness. So Peter said, hey, let me ask the Lord how many times I got to forgive my brother. Is it seven times? God, I'm being gracious. I'm willing to do seven. I'm willing to go more than God. Jesus says, no, Peter. No, Peter. It's 70 times. It's 77 times. Not seven times. 77 times. What's Jesus trying to say to Peter? Peter, yeah, you're trying to be gracious. Let me tell you, it's, it's more than you can fathom. It's infinite. It's an infinite amount of time. And let me tell you a story to demonstrate it. And Jesus tells a story. He wants to teach a lesson, so he tells a story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. So now 10,000 talents would have been a number that would be too hard to fathom. It's so much money that you can't even understand it. And so I, I, I don't want to dwell in that realm. I want to dwell in the realm for us to, uh, to understand this in a little bit of a different way. So I have to ask one of the Carnes kids that's up there. Uh, did, did, does your daddy give you an allowance? Occasionally? 
Kind of, kind of like me. Maybe he gives you, I don't tell me what he gives you, but let's just pretend that, that he gives you uh, $10 per month. Okay, so I have $500 here. You know how long it would take you with $10 a month to get $500 from you, Daddy? It would take you four years and one month to get there. Don't, all you accountants, you can check my, my math later. I think I'm right. It's at least four years. <laughs> it's like this. That's the picture. 10,000 denarii. It's like four years, right? It's just this number that's so big, right? And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold and his wife and his children and all that he had and payments to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him that debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants. So the guy was forgiven of the $500, right? He was forgiven. The guy had mercy on him. But he went out and found one of his servants. And he seized him. He owed him, his fellow servants owed him 100 denarii. And, and that, really what that's translated out to be is about three months worth of work. So an infant number of money and, and compared to three months worth of work. And, and our comparison today is $500 versus one penny. One penny. He owed him one penny. And he says, you have to pay. Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and, and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused and went and put him in prison until he show, should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported it to their master, all that had taken place. And the master summoned the man that was forgiven that large amount of money and said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Wow. Does Jesus mean what he says? I think he does. Wow. We must forgive, not because people deserve it, not because they earn it. We forgive because this is us. We think that we're this. This is what we think we are. That's why we don't forgive people who hurt us. When people hurt us this amount, we think we're this. We think we're the penny. And so, well, they they hurt me this much. So clearly I'm not going to forgive them. No, we are this. We are the $500. This is who we are apart from God's grace and his mercy. And this is the point that Jesus is trying to give to his disciples then and give to his disciples now. That we're called to forgive not because somebody deserves it or because they pay us back. We're called to forgive no matter what the debt is because that's who we are as well. We are infinitely guilty. The Christian life is a lifestyle of giving and receiving forgiveness. That is the Christian life. Some of you think, well, I don't want to do that. I don't want to have to forgive whenever they're, when, when they're wrong. I don't want to have to do that. That's what you signed up for. The Christian life is a lifestyle of giving and receiving forgiveness. When we refuse to forgive, we are actually keeping ourselves in the prison we try to keep them in. We're in the prison. We're in the prison of unforgiveness. The person you're called to forgive may never admit they're wrong. They may never pay. Some of you were hurt years and years and years and years ago by a loved one, by a family member. They did terrible things to you, and now they're dead, and now they they can never pay you back. 
They may never say they are sorry. They may never pay for what they did. None of those realities, I know, I know this is not easy, but none of those realities have anything to do with you walking in forgiveness. Forgiveness is based upon the reality of the new creation life. It's based upon the reality of what Christ has done for us. And whenever we really understand the debt that we owed as enemies of the cross, when we really understand what Christ absorbed on the cross for us personally, we, we separate ourselves from that. We see that as something that happened over 2,000 years ago, but when we really see it for what it was, that is the foundation of how we walk in forgiveness. Now, I know that sometimes it's a process, and it's going to take time, and I'm not saying that in this moment that you've got to leave right now and, and say, I'm just going to be done with this. I'm going to forgive, and, and I'm going to move on. I'm not saying that it will be, always be easy, because it's not. It's going to take time. There will be time. Maybe you need counseling. Maybe you need to sit with a pastor and talk to them and say, how can I walk this out? But it is what we're called to. So many people live their lives with years worth of unforgiveness stored in their heart. You know what years worth of unforgiveness stored in your heart does? It poisons every relationship you're in. Try to be in a relationship with somebody where you are poisoned with unforgiveness. It is going to be hard for you to be vulnerable as you're called to be. To have a healthy relationship. It's going to be hard for you to really, to really give them all that you are because you are, 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 are embittered with unforgiveness. It poisons every relationship. God has called us to freedom. Listen, this is so important. Don't let the the sins of someone else rob you of the peace that belongs to you in Christ. If you're a Christian here today, peace belongs to you. Don't let someone else's sins rob you of a peace that belongs to you in Christ. Their sin has been robbing you of peace year after year. Here's the flip side of that. Don't let pride get in the way of you giving what God so freely gave you. Don't let pride get in the way of, give, of, of you giving what God so freely gave you. We are called to forgive just as Christ has forgiven us. Wow. I mean, I think we say it, and I read it in Colossians, and I, but I don't think we understand it. And I'm telling you, I, 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 I know this because I've experienced it in my life with hurt in my life in relationships. I've lived it as you have lived it. And we read stuff like that, and we think, that, that, how is that true? That's what we're called to. We're called to forgive just as Christ has forgiven us. That is not possible in our own strength. It's only through God. This is a new creation life. We're called to walk in Christ-like attributes and we're called to walk in forgiveness. And lastly, and this is, this, this is the good news. This is, this is the center of what this is all about. This is how we're to do it. This is what's going to help us to do it. Here's the last thing that we want to look at here this morning. Here's the hope. Number three, agape love is the glue that holds everything together. Agape love is the glue that holds everything together. Look back at the text there. He gave that list. Compassion and gentleness and and humility and kindness and and long-suffering and bearing with one another's faults and patience. And and then he talks about forgiveness. And and he he says this in Colossians 3.14. And above all of these that I just mentioned, above all of these, put on love. This is the premier attribute above all of those. Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Oh, man, what would a perfect harmony look like in your marriage, right? In your relationship with your kids and in the world today, right? Everyone's looking for world peace. 
looking for peace, looking for unity. Politicians are fighting with one another and, and we want harmony. We want harmony. Harmony will never happen apart from the love of Christ. Never. You want harmony in your life? Perfect harmony? It comes from the love of Christ. And that word love there that the Apostle Paul says that, 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 that above all of these put on love, that love that binds everything together, that word love is the word agape, which is God's love. It's not our love that's going to bind everything together. You guys get that? It's God's love that will bind everything together. It's God's love in us and God's love through us that will bind everything together. It's what the world needs. What the world needs is love, love, love. They've been going after the wrong love. The word is agape. Look at Romans 5. You, you, you may say, well, I don't have that love. How can I have that love? Or if you're a Christian here today, can I tell you something that you have that maybe you've forgotten that you have? Romans 5 says you have it. Look at Romans 5. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. There you go. If you name the name of Jesus, I've just placed responsibility on you through, through the scripture. It's, it's there. It's in you. You can't say, you can't say, Pastor Ben, uh, I, yes, I agree. Compassion, gentleness, patience, forgiveness. I agree. Scripture says that, but how can I do it? I don't, how can I do it? I can't do it. The love of God, his love has been poured into your hearts. It's yours through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. So what does that do? The love of Christ poured into us is the love that should flow out of us. That's how we walk in compassion. That's how we walk in humility. That's how we walk in patience and gentleness. And that's how we walk in forgiveness. The love of Christ that is poured into us is the love that should flow out of us. 1 John 4.11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. It's that love. If God so loved us and demonstrated that love through the cross and he pours his love in our hearts through faith in Christ and the power of the Spirit, then we ought to love others, love one another. God's love is poured into our heart through the Holy Spirit and and it is this which binds us together. You want to have a marriage that is bound together? Walk in the love of Christ. Walk in the love of Christ. You know, there's one key for happy marriage. If, if you're married here today and you want to know the one key for happy marriage, I'll tell you. If you want to get married, you're not married, I'll tell you the one key to a happy marriage. The one key to a happy marriage is to be a forgiver. That's it. If you're going to make it in your marriage, and we've been married, my wife and I have been married for 16 years, and the one thing we have consistently done over 16 years is we've forgiven each other. That's how you do it. There's lots of other tricks and and things, not tricks, but lots of other things that you can do and things you must walk in. But to me, from my experience and from what I see in God's word, the number one attribute you must walk in is forgiveness. Why? Because your spouse is a sinner who makes mistakes just like you and is walking out their sanctification. And sometimes they're not sanctified. And we must walk in forgiveness. And it's the love of Christ that binds our marriage together. That's how we forgive. It's his love. It's his love that binds our marriage together. It's his love that binds our relationship with our kids together. How often are we impatient with our kids? We need to have the love of Christ to bind us together with our kids. 
You know, sometimes in our relationship with our kids, we forget that they're kids. Have you ever been there as a parent? You forget that they're a kid. You forget that they're two years old. That's what two-year-olds do at three in the morning. That's what a 14-year-old does. That's what a 10-year-old does. That's what they do. We need to be reminded. We need to be reminded that they're kids and that they're going to make mistakes and that we need to love them with the love of Christ. It is the glue that binds us together and it's also the agape love of Christ is what binds us together as a church. How often in churches do we disagree about petty things? How often in churches do we disagree about things that keeps us divided and there's no unity amongst the church because we're, we're so caught up in our own way and our own desires. Oh, that we would live in a day in a time where we have the agape love that is poured into our hearts, that we are walking in that love with one another as a church. Oh, that is what we need to see. Love is the glue. It's kind of like this. I've got a couple of hearts here. And this is what it's like. This is, this is a heart. This represents us, right? The core of who we are. And this is gorilla glue. Jesus' love is a lot stronger than gorilla glue, but I... I couldn't get anything stronger than that to demonstrate it, right? So I'm not saying Jesus' love is like a gorilla. (laughs) But I am saying this is what we need to do. I hope the glue didn't dry from the first service. Let's see. But we need to put on, put on the love of Christ. It's his love. Every day, Lord, help me. Lord, I know that if I'm going to be compassionate, it's going to be because of your love poured into my heart, help me to change my clothes before I leave, to put on compassion that is reflected in your love. Help me to put on gentleness and patience. Help me to bear with someone else's faults. Make allowance, make room for their faults. Lord, help me. We must do that. And we must pray that those around us have done the same thing, right? Lord, help us to love one another as a church. Help us to be patient with each other as a church when we disagree. Help us to walk in your love, Lord. You've given us your love. Help us. Because it is that love, it is that love that binds us together. Hopefully I can do this without making a mess. That's what it does. It binds us together. That's the picture. The agape love of Christ is like the glue that binds us. This is a picture of a marriage in unity. A picture of a relationship with father and mother and kids and, and a church. We're bound together and what is binding us together is not the force of our will, but it's the love of Christ that's in between us that is, that is gluing us, binding us together. That's what we need. Truth is, though, is that to try and live these attributes described above without the love of Christ is legalism. Did you hear me say that? The truth is to try to live the attributes described above without love is legalism. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 13. Listen to this. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, meaning if I have heavenly languages, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. He says, look, if I have heavenly languages that I speak in, but I have not love, I'm just, I just make noise. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and have all faith, if I have a lot of faith even to remove mountains. He says, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. So if you have all the spiritual gifts described in 1 Corinthians and and you you have a lot of faith even so much as to move mountains, but you have not love, he says, you're nothing. If I give away all that I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, 
but I have not love, I gain nothing. So what's the key as we end here this morning? What's the key for us to walk in all these attributes? For us to be bound together in love? How is that going to happen? It's going to happen whenever we come to know the love of Christ more than we understand it right now. That's the key. We must understand the love of Christ more than we understand it now. And there is nothing in this world here today that is pointing you to that in that direction. Nothing outside of God's word and his church and brothers and sisters in Christ are going to point you to a revelation of God's love. Everything in this world today is pointing you in directions that want to rip your relationships apart. Do you feel that today? Do you feel that in your life? Every direction you turn, it's, it's not the love of Christ that's being talked about that wants, wants to bind you together in your marriages and in your relationships and as a church. It wants to rip us apart. And the way that we will be bound together in love is to know and understand the love of God more than we do. Think about it. The innocent Son of God. The innocent Son of God went to the cross and absorbed, took upon His body, the penalty that I deserved, that you deserved. That was a demonstration of his love. We must know that love. We have to know that love even more. It can't just be an intellectual thing that we understand. Yes, I see the Bible says that, and I see where it reads in the gospel. That's what he did. But we must know it to the depth of who we are. What must it have been like for somebody who was not guilty to take the penalty for for someone else? And to say, I'm going to take the death penalty for someone else who's guilty. I'm going to take it. That's a love that we must know and understand. And when we know and understand that love and what it's done in our life, that is the motivation and the foundation for healthy relationships in our life. It is the motivation and the foundation for forgiveness, to know the love of Christ. Lord, help us to understand. Lord, help us to surrender to it. To live a life that is marked by the love of Christ. This should be our prayer. Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus. He prayed that they would come to understand this love. The love of Jesus. Because that understanding would mark everything in their life. It would mark every decision. It would mark every relationship. And that's what the world needs today. That's what they need today. You know, I I am concerned about our world. I'm concerned about the direction that we're going in. I am concerned. But you know what? I, I am not concerned about i'm not concerned about you and i who have the love of christ in our heart i believe that no matter what comes that if we will if we will come if we will seek the love of god and to know it and to understand it that it will mark our life in in every area and that there's nothing this world can do to take that away from us nothing nothing they can padlock those doors if they want they can't take that away from us amen Ephesians 3 says this. This is how we're going to end. This is the prayer Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus. He said, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, this is our prayer, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length. That means how far does God love? How far does his love go? That's what Paul prayed. The breadth and the depth, the length, it goes so far. And the height and the depth. And to know the love of Christ. 
that surpasses knowledge. It seems counterintuitive, right? If you're in the faith, why is he praying that we would know the love of Christ? It's because that is the knowledge that continually motivates our Christian life. When somebody loves you and you see that love for you in your life, what does it motivate you to do? It motivates you to love them even more. It motivates you to live in a selfless way towards them. That's the picture. When we come to really understand it, it is what will change our life. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Amen? Amen. Can I pray for you today? Would you bow your heads? Let's pray for us here today. Maybe there's somebody here today and, and you have never made a decision to follow Christ. And you're hearing about this love of God as demonstrated through the life of Jesus and, and you know that that is what you need here this morning. You know it. You came in here and your heart is telling you right now that you need to surrender to Christ. That if you died today, you don't know where you'd spend eternity. And I'm telling you here today that the way, the way that Christ loves you was he demonstrated that love to die on the cross for your sins so that you can be forgiven, so that you can spend eternity with him in heaven. And Jesus said that he is the, the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but through him. If that's you here today and you want to surrender to Christ, I ask that you would raise your hand. Is there anybody here today? Just, just a simple raising of your hands to acknowledge that God's tugging on your heart. Amen. If that was you, just pray in the quietness of your heart and surrender to him. Surrender to Christ. It's between you and him, not between me and you and him. It's between you and Christ. If you're here today and you're struggling with unforgiveness in your heart, I pray today that that you would come to know the love of Christ and what he's done for you and on that basis that you would walk in that process of forgiving those that have hurt you. So, Lord, I pray for those here today, God, that, that, that if they come to faith in you, I pray that they would pray and surrender to you and that they would continue to pursue understanding you through your word and they would grow in their faith and get connected here at, at, at Living Word or at another church, another healthy church, Lord. And I pray for those here today that have been struggling with unforgiveness. I pray that today that they will choose peace. Today that they will choose to let it go, let go of the hurt, let go of the pain, let go of the things that the enemy is using to keep them in prison, the prison of unforgiveness. God, I pray peace over your people, the peace that only comes through the gospel and through your love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, I love you. I'll see you next week.